welcome. Welcome to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics of the Bible, the Word of God, the words of the Lord. We follow the example of the book of Acts Church, and in doing so, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. We dig deeper into Scripture. We don't water it down. We don't filter it. If you want your ears tickled, you're in the wrong place. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer, regaining that world-shaking influence that they had that we need so badly right now. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. It's still available to you. And that's what we're going to continue to talk about tonight, upper room fire. If you have any questions, visit firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, or you can write us directly at the porch at firefalltalkradio.com. The porch, lowercase, one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support what we do, there's ways to do that at the bottom of the homepage on firefalltalkradio.com. To each and every one of you that do support us, we greatly appreciate it. You, I, try, I do my best to make sure that you know that, but I want you to know I take nothing for granted. And the porch is very grateful. Firefall Talk Radio is grateful. And just give as the Lord leads. Welcome to all our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Please remember that no matter where you listen to us, we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, as well as the four streaming services in which we pay for, which is Spreaker, Blog Talk, um, Podbean, and SoundCloud. And I'm going to be making some changes soon. I just haven't decided which ones... uh, we will probably stay with Spreaker, even though some of you told me there's some problems. It's just easier. The format is easier. The broadcasting capabilities are easier, and also they're the cheapest of all of them, so I have to consider that. If you don't want to hear the community part, praise reports, prayer requests, jump right to the sound of the shofar and go directly into the Bible study. But if you want the feeling of community and that you're a part of something which we believe you are and hope that you want to be, we always start out with praise reports and prayer requests. And the reason we do that is we do not believe that you should ever go into the presence of the Lord without praising Him. He inhabits the praises of His people. So I praise Him, first of all, for my salvation, because without that, I'm not here, and I don't have any of the things I'm about to thank Him for, which is my wife. My sons, my daughter-in-laws, our grandson, our furry kids, this home, the studio that I'm sitting in, all the technology, everything I have is because of him. I'm nothing without him. Praise him for his provision and his protection over each and every one of us, for the dreams and the visions mentioned in Joel 2.28, which we're going to be talking about tonight. Praise him for his healing virtues and divine health for his abiding divine favor and his mercies, which are new every morning. I praise him for the continuing revelation of the Holy Spirit, always with us, walking with us, encouraging us, reminding us, and for making us new creations, especially me. Oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine what I'd be like right now in this dark, demonic world without being born again. I'm thankful that he has saved me, chosen me, loved me, and I am living in the shadow of his wings during these dark prophetic times. So let's pray. We always start out by praying for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122, verse 6. May they prosper who love you. I love our Jewish brothers and sisters, which are my Jewish brothers and sisters by blood, not just by being grafted into the vine. I pray for Israel. I pray for Jerusalem. I pray for their protection and their leadership, just as I pray for America and our leadership, or lack thereof. And I pray for his grace and his mercy, which we surely need right now. Prayers for all the people being victimized 
whether by corrupt political leadership, um, the fallen world system, whatever it is, I care. I care about our brothers and sisters. I care about the lost and the dying. I care about even the, the creation, the animals. I grieve for them. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, and those that are victims of injustice. Our Father is a God of justice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents and for those that have made that mistake and are being tormented by it. I pray for missing and exploited children and the human sex traffic and all that goes on. So many victims, so much darkness. We need to shine brighter. For our brothers and sisters being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, whether they are Jewish or whether they are believers, they're being attacked, they're being marginalized, victimized. Persecution, it's, it's, it's just everywhere. The evil spirit of the Antichrist, which I hope each and every day you're praying with me to push back against, that the Father would restrain him, that the Lord would hold things back so that we can finish the job at hand. For divine wholeness, health, and healing as we get back to our divine design. It's very difficult to do what he's called us to do if we're sick, we're injured. So I pray right now in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, that you be healed, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, even down to the cellular level. Today as I was preparing, I've been dealing with... um, the end result of years of bodybuilding, martial arts, bodyguard work, problems with my spine, lower back, my neck, uh, vertebrae sitting on top of one another, and I, I've just been dealing with it through therapy and exercise, and it finally hit me tonight. No, I'm, I'm going to start praying for healing. I'm going to start praying for restoration of the pads between the vertebrae. I'm not going to accept it. I don't know why I did. I just figured it was a byproduct and a price of my choices. I pray that you'll join with me and I join with you. That whatever it is, that the Spirit of the living God touches you in those areas right now. Restoring you. Restoring your body, restoring your mind, your spirit, whatever it is. That Jehovah Rapha, the healer, would touch you. I pray for protection. That's Psalm 91 covering that we need in these times. For inspiration, this fire of the Holy Spirit that I've been speaking about to overtake us and renew us and and get us all fired up again. For the remnant, that's you, that's me. That we wake up, rise up, that we answer this call to action. Folks, I don't know how long it's going to be. But there may come a moment where I won't be on the air and you won't make, we won't be able to meet. You better be filled. You better be ready. You better be prepared. And if you've been blessed, I pray that you would be a blessing, that you would fund what needs to be done. If you know someone that's been blessed, let them know. Firefall has needs to get the documentaries and the other things done. SRT has needs to go out and help set the captives free, the porch to teach and prepare and to disciple. Praying for our lost family members. That when their time comes, their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there will be no hesitation that they'll just be greeted and entered into his presence. Uh, Stacy in Texas, several praise reports. If you remember, she's been asking about her friend, her, her brother, this friend's brother, Jesse, was in the hospital, wasn't doing well. He's woken up and he's eating. They have an offer on their house in Alabama, with, and the insurance covered the repairs to the roof. Uh, seems like the tide has turned for her family member, who has been falsely accused on the job that now things have turned so that there's an investigation into his accusers for their false accusations. Prayer works, folks. we got to believe. And Kim and Fort Mitchell offered an unspoken prayer request, and we just honor that. So, Father, we love you. You're awesome. You're an awesome dad. Abba, 
Papa, Daddy, we thank you for loving us when we were unlovable, for wanting so badly to be reconciled with us. You sent your only Son to die for us. We thank you that we can boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy as little children, arms outstretched, crying out, Papa, Abba. And that your love and your grace is so amazing. We thank you for Yeshua. And Lord, we we thank you. We're grateful. I don't even think those words are enough. You gave your life for us, so the least we can do is live for you. But we love you. We love you for the what you did, for the shedding of your blood so that we could be redeemed and forgiven, for the price you paid that we would never have been able to pay. But we're also incredibly thankful that the cross is bare, the tomb is empty, and that you are alive. You sit at the right hand of the Father, and you've allowed us to sit with you in the heavenly places. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want to do. Say whatever you want to say. Take control. Take over. Glorify the Father and the Son. Let us know what you want us to know. Let us remember what you want us to remember. We take our thoughts captive. We clear our minds. We clear our hearts. And we prepare to receive. In Yeshua's name, amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about the upper room. The upper room changed everything, not just for the church, but for the world. It still does. And we're getting back to basics, and I believe the remnant needs to get back to basics, needs to get fired up, needs to shut out all the extraneous things which have no eternal value. So let's revisit that transformational event for renewed understanding and renewal in us. So go with me to Acts chapter 2. Your Bible should be open, your app should be open, you should be taking notes You should be downloading these, re-listening, getting it, saving them, sharing them. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they're in this room, the sound comes, the building gets shaken, Uh, the people outside can hear this. And then there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred... The multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. By this point, they have spilled out of the upper room. The sound is coming out of the building. The the doors fly open. They spill out. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, uh, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, 
We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They were praising God. They weren't just saying anything. They were praising God. This praise came directly from the throne room, from the Holy Spirit itself. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Whatever could this mean? They're still asking that today. Sadly, even some members of the church are asking that today. Picking up verse 12, And they were beside themselves with amazement, greatly perplexed, saying, What could this mean? But others were laughing and joking and ridiculing them, saying, They're full of sweet wine and are drunk. Folks, do not be surprised when people do not understand what the Lord is doing in your life. Don't be surprised if they mock you and criticize you. Stand in it. Stand in the fullness of it and just let it go. The world, even the church, still don't understand what took place on the day of Pentecost. Oh, they claim that they do, but apparently they really don't. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem... Let this be explained to you. Listen closely and pay attention to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you assume, since it's only the third hour of the day, which was 9 a.m. But this is the beginning of what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And these visions and dreams are divinely appointed. He sends them. Even on my bondservants, both men and women, I will in those days pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will bring about wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. These miracles confirming blood and fire and smoking vapor, that the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord calls upon Adonai, invoking, adoring, and worshiping Adonai Yeshua shall be saved. Well, this was the two-part prophecy of Joel. We touched on it last week. I want to go back because the Lord showed me a couple of things. Joel chapter 2, starting with verse 28. Now, this is the promise of the Spirit. This is part one of the prophecy. It shall come to pass after this that I shall pour out my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit on those days. That's part one. Now, part two, which is about the day of the Lord, picks up in verse 30, where it says, I will show signs and wonders, displaying my power in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And it shall come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved from the coming judgment. For out on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the remnant of survivors whom the Lord calls. Well, part one is fulfilled in the day of Pentecost. Part two is yet to be fulfilled. Part one was triggered by the ascension of the Lord who sends back the Holy Spirit. Part two is triggered by the return of the Lord. So both of these prophecies have to do with the Lord, whether he's ascending or coming back. Peter, by speaking this on the day of Pentecost, is declaring that those prophecies are both in effect and in process. So the purpose of the cross, and even you can add to that the empty tomb, the resurrection, 
was to instigate or trigger the upper room. The two are intertwined. You cannot have one without the other. You can't preach the cross without preaching the empty tomb in the upper room. Just like you can't have Passover without the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost. One precedes the other. Both are tied together. So the fire released in the upper upper room. (laughs) The fire released in the upper room set things in motion. Think about it this way. The upper room fire was an explosive combustion. That's the dunamis, dynamic power. It propelled the church. They gave it propulsion like gas in an engine with the spark plug, causing the explosion, causing the engine to run and the vehicle to move. The Holy Spirit's the fuel that drives us. I remember what John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, Verses 11 and 12. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he was coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The same fire that saves you seals the judgment of the world. So we can choose which fire that we want. Do we want the Holy Spirit fire of salvation, infilling, cleansing? Or do we want the Holy Spirit fire of judgment? That's why the Holy Spirit, with the day of Pentecost purification, testing, and, of course, judgment. And everybody who fully accepts Yeshua is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if this is not resonating, let's go back to the Mount of Olives. It should resonate. I've been teaching this now for 11 years. But it seems I learn more each time, and I'm understanding why he's focused on this. We are in a period of correction, and change. But we're in a period of being focused so distinctly upon the calling that anything else that interferes with what he's doing gets in his way. Remember in Acts 1, he said, the Lord's sitting with them on the Mount of Olives. And he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which he said, You've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit not long from now. You will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses to people about me, both in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit would drive them throughout Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and then propel the church into the rest of the world, which is what the book of Acts is all about. We became baptized, empowered, and united with the Holy Spirit on that day. And it is still available to us just as it was then. And if you understand it, Being in the fire puts you through a process of purification just like they do with gold. The fire burns up the impurities. And the gold, which is you and I, survives. The amazing thing about serving him in ministry or in our walk is it's a process. We're always in process. We're always in the fire. We're always being purified. We're always being changed. 1 Corinthians 3, starting verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Yeshua, 
Amashiach, Jesus the Messiah. But if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious jewels, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will be clearly shown for what it is, for the day of judgment will disclose it, for it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality and character and worth of each person's work. So we are in process. We're being tested by the fire, we're being purified, and we're being approved. That's why we go through the things we go through. And sometimes, I don't believe people will lose their salvation, but I believe some people that are built on wood, hay, and straw will see their works consumed and rejected. Build on the best, the gold, the silver, the precious jewels. Well, there's a flip side to this. The unrepentant will be tested by the fire, but they will be rejected. See, John chapter 3 confirms everything about Acts 1 and 2. And that's why this tapestry of the word is so important. Now, I'm about to read you John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21 of the Amplified. And it would sound very harsh and hopeless. But remember, John is the apostle of love. John's the one who focused on the love of God, the love of the Lord. Hear these things through that filter. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten Son, so that whoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, that is, the, to initiate the final judgment of the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes and has decided to trust in him as personal Savior and Lord is not judged. For this one there is no judgment, no rejection, no condemnation. Now here we go. This is the flip side. But the one who does not believe and has decided to reject him as personal Savior and Lord is judged already. That one has been convicted and sentenced because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the one and only begotten Son of God. The one is truly unique, the only one of his kind, the one who alone can save him. This is the judgment. The cause for their indictment, the test by which people are judged, and it's the basis for their sentence. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For every wrongdoer hates the light and does not come to the light, but shrinks from it, for fear his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. But whoever practices truth and does what is right, morally, ethically, spiritually, comes to the light so that his works may be plainly shown to be what they are, accomplished in God, divinely prompted, done with God's help, in dependence on him. People choose the outcome of where they spend eternity. God does not make the decision. He checks their decision in the books. And whatever's in the books is what they get. That's why Peter's doing what he's doing in Acts chapter 2. He's been fueled. He's been propelled. He's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he says, brother... I may confidently and freely say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so being a prophet, knowing fully that God had sworn to him with an oath that he would seat one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke prophetically of the resurrection 
of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned in death to Hades, which the Jews would have been Sheol, nor did his body undergo decay. God raised this Yeshua bodily from the dead, and of that fact we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this blessing, which is the Holy Spirit and everything they just saw, which you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, yet he himself says, and he's quoting from Psalm 101, The Lord, who is the Father, said to my Lord, Adonai the Son, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, which will happen after he comes back in the millennial reign. Therefore let all the house of Israel recognize, beyond all doubt, that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Yeshua who you crucified is Adonai and HaMashiach. So many things could have happened at that moment. They could have reached for stones. They could have risen up and tried to slaughter all 12 of them. But this was fire inspired evangelism. This is Holy Spirit fire coming out of Peter's mouth. And in front of him is a harvest. It's an ingathering for the day of Pentecost. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart with remorse and anxiety. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what are, Brothers, what are we to do? Peter said to them, Repent. Change your old way of thinking. Turn from your sinful ways. Accept and follow Yeshua as the Messiah. And be baptized, each of you, in the, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, because of the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Basically, if you do this, what you just saw, what you just saw, is yours. For the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children, for all who are far away, including the Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God calls to himself. And Peter solemnly testified and continued to admonish and urge them with many more words, saying, Be saved from this crooked and unjust generation. So then, those who accepted his message were baptized, and on that day about 3,000 souls were added to the body of believers. And they were, they, remember, they counted just the men. And there were anywhere from 100 to 120,000 people, some say up to a million or two million, in Jerusalem at this time for the festivals. So while 3,000 doesn't sound like a lot, considering that number, that's the first harvest for the Book of Acts church. And then verse 42 explains to you from 42 on to 47, the next set of verses shows you the fire merging them together as one into a family, inspiring love. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles, to fellowship and to breaking bread, which is communion, eating meals together and to prayers. And a sense of awe was felt by everyone and many wonders and signs attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed in Yeshua as Savior were together and had all things in common, meaning they considered their possessions to belong to the group as a whole, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all other believers and anyone that had need. Day after day, 
They met in the temple area, which was Solomon's porch, continuing with one mind, breaking bread in various private homes. They met on the porch, then they went to somebody's home, moving from home to home. They were eating their meals together with joy and a generous heart, praising God continually and having favor with all people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the fire that drove this. This is the fire that propelled it. This is the fire that inspired Peter to evangelize and merge them together as one. And this fire gave them a love and a commitment to one another. Essentially, the Holy Spirit built the first church. And it was all based on what? Passionate, fire-filled love. 1 John 3, verses 16 and 17. By this we know love because he has laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? This is what's been rolling through me for the last two weeks. I was going to take you to a section of the book of Enoch, and the description of the throne room, and the fact that the throne room, floor to ceiling, wall to wall, is fire, tongues of fire, and that the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days, who is the Father, all sit in the middle of this fire. But I thought, you know what? That might not be easy to grasp. But what is passion? Passion is fire. That love is inspired. Love is key to the Holy Spirit. It's mentioned in the gifts and the fruit. Galatians five twenty two and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, which is the result of the fruit that, that grows onto the vine, which is us, the result of his presence within us, as I describe as the sap inside the vine. First thing mentioned is love unselfish concern for others. The second thing mentioned is joy. And I bring I believe love brings the joy. That then there's inner peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These are the fruits of the spirit. Love Holy Spirit, fire-filled love makes possible the fellowship of the church and guarantees that the gifts will be used properly and unselfishly. Will bring attention to themselves because they're trying to represent the Lord. Love is the greatest gift given to us by God through His Son, by the Holy Spirit, which is love. I personally believe and have always believed that the early church was so productive and so dangerous to the kingdom of darkness because of this combination. Now we know in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul lists the gifts of the Spirit. And in Corinth, they embraced the gifts. They were people that came out of the occult and the paranormal though they didn't call it that back then. So they fixated on the gifts, and they fixated on the one that brought them the most attention, speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. For some reason, even to this day, the church likes to draw attention to itself. I never understood it when I was a baby Christian. As I've matured over these 33 years, I've grown to detest that aspect of man. I'm trying to measure my words here as, as I pause. For some reason, we not only do it, 
but we embrace and celebrate those who do. And I'm just going to say this outright. Any ministry that draws attention to itself in any way, shape, or form is already in trouble with him. 1 Corinthians 13. What is the greatest gift? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, Paul clearly differentiating between the tongues, but I have not love. I've become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. I've become a performance, an actor on a stage with a clanging cymbal of the temple prostitute at the bottom of their garments, stating they're open for business. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, this Holy Spirit-inspired love, this love from the Father through the Son, from the throne room through the upper room to us never fails. But whether they are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease when that does, when the Lord comes back. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But that which is perfect has come when we receive our glorified bodies, when we are physically and spiritually perfect, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things, or at least we should have. For now we see in a mirror dimly, But then face to face, there's the key to everything else I just said. We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, when we get face to face with them, when we get our glorified bodies, when we are taken out of here and and meet him in the air, that's when everything changes. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. So now abide. Faith, hope. Love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The upper room, Holy Spirit, fire, the passion, that love he gives to us so that we can love one another, we can love others, but we must love God. James fifteen twelve red letters from the Lord. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Remember I said John is the prophet, the teacher of love. Does that in his letters. 1 John 4, starting verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Verse 18 of 1 John 4 is always misquoted. The perfect love he's talking about is the love given to you through salvation and being born again. That's what casts out fear. Fear of condemnation, fear of judgment. That's the torment. But you have been made perfect in love. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, 
How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. John could have easily said, if you say you love God but hate your brother, not only you are a liar, but the Spirit of God is not in you. That's what I get from what he's saying. See, this came after what he said about the world in chapter 2 of 1 John. Do not love this world, nor the things it has to offer you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. These are not from the Father, but from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. 1 John chapter 2 refutes all the mega ministries and all the preachers and teachers out there that have drawn attention to themselves, accepted the accolades, put their names on their ministries, and done everything to have pride in their achievements and possessions. I believe it rebukes them. I believe it displeases the Lord. And eventually, the Holy Spirit withdraws from these people. And when he does withdraw from them, they're fair game to the enemy and to God's judgment and punishment. Galatians 6, verse 2. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Messiah. What is the law of Messiah? To love one another as he has loved us. Are you getting this yet? Is this resonating inside of you? Is this speaking to you? Maybe some of you, this might even convict you. 1 Peter 1.22 Since you've purified your souls in obeying, obeying the truth, which is the word, which came through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, which you can't do without what? The infilling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3.8 Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. And then 1 Peter 4.8 And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. You know, right now, and I used to be a part of it, but I haven't been for nine years as a fringe element out there in the body. And they're teaching all these things, the Nephilim, the bones, the this, the that, the aliens, uh, UFOs. They're teaching you all these really fantastical things that tickle your ear and get your attention. But you know what? Now listen to me. You know what? That's not in the Word. Oh, they mention the fallen angels, and they mention the demons, and they mention the days of Noah as a warning that their judgment will come upon this world. But you know, I see a lot of it. I see a lot of teaching on love and the Spirit and relationship and the Father and the Son. Be careful of what you get fixated on. Be careful of what you take in. I've repented to the Father to the period of time where this, those things were the things I taught on. And while I mention them now, I mention them within the scope of the Great Commission and the Kingdom of God and what we're called to do. But let me state unequivocally, the only bones that I care about are the bones that are not in a tomb in Jerusalem because he's alive. I don't care about the bones of the Nephilim. I don't care about the bones of all these things all around the world that were put into the ground during the flood. No, they have no value to me. They mean nothing to me. Even Second Peter. Peter goes on to teach about love. Chapter 1, starting with verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, 
to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, to godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and here we go, to brotherly kindness, love. Love is the fulfillment of that equation given to you there. 1 John 3.11, for this message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Even in the book of Jude, verses 20 and 21, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus the Messiah unto eternal life. Now, if you get it, if you understand what I'm telling you, when I take you to Revelation chapter 2, and the loveless church, you'll understand the condemnation that the Lord says to them in Revelation 2, starting verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. He's saying you're doing the job, but you've forgotten why you do it. I have this against you. You left your first love. You've lost the depth of love that you first had for me. You've forgotten what you were called to do. So here it is. Here's the culmination of this upper room fire. The upper room fire brings passion. Where's your passion? As I was finishing this lesson today and spending time with the Lord. I've made no bones about how much I love him and how passionate I am for him and how much zeal I have for him. It drives me. It drives me to the point that it frustrates me when I'm not doing what I'm called to do, to set the captives free, destroy the work of the enemy, to go lay hands on the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, run off and, and get the lambs out of the, the, the wolves, get, just rescue his sheep so much love for him. But that's the fire of the Holy Spirit. The upper room fire brings passion. Passion for God. Passion for the Lord. Passion for the church. For the lost. For the call, that great commission. And a passion for his return. Be honest with yourself right now. Do you have this passion? If you don't, you better figure out why. Because that's what's going to drive you in the days ahead. Passion for your Heavenly Father. Passion for the Lord that died for you, that you've decided to live for Him. For His church, your brothers and sisters. For the lost, the ones who are going to be consumed in an eternal fire. A passion for the call to fulfill the Great Commission, to not be distracted by anything else. I'm going to prophesy to you right now, and we'll say this very clearly, write it down. Anything that gets in his way, any other teaching, any ministry, any person that gets in his way of fulfilling the Great Commission before his return will be removed. Do not get in his way. And the passion for his return. Do you long to see him face to face? Do you long to feel, feel his arms around your neck? Feel of his beard up against your face. Smell of the incense of the throne room coming off his clothing. 
If you don't, you better figure out why. If you're more caught up in the world and the things of this world and doing what you want to do, if you're more caught up in the accolades of men and people and your name up in lights or on whatever, if you're more caught up in anything than what I have mentioned tonight, you better get on your face and get on your knees before him. If you have no compassion for the lost, if you have no compassion for the bound and the dying and those that have been victimized by Hasatan and the fallen and their demonic offspring, if you have no love for these people, you better get on your face and figure out why. Because he loved you so much. He endured so much for you. Father, I just come to you now as your son, as your servant. First of all, I tell you how much I love you. Lord, how much I love you. I pray for you, sons and your daughters. I pray for anyone tonight that has heard this message and doesn't understand. I pray for anyone tonight that has heard this message and has discovered parts of them that don't line up with this upper room passion. I pray for them. I pray that they'll be honest and transparent before you. Wouldn't do any good not to because you know it all anyway. I pray that they would cry out to you the way Peter cried out when he realized that he had betrayed you. And we betray you every day with this world, with our selfishness, with our own self-serving needs. We betray you every day when we don't share you with somebody else or pray for each other, even pray for your creation. I pray that there would be a renewal inside of them. I pray that this fire would be stirred up. And if they don't have enough, you'd be gracious enough to drop some on them. We need it. We need it for this final journey. We need it to go the distance. We need the fuel and the passion and the burn to finish the race. We need you. We need more fire. We need more love. Father, anyone who stumbled upon this and is not born again or somebody is backslidden, you've reminded me this week to pray for them. If you don't know the Jesus I speak of, the Yeshua I speak of so passionately, I pray that you would want to. I pray right now. You would acknowledge what he did on the cross for you. You would accept the blood sacrifice and the payment of your sins. That you would realize you need a Savior and make him Lord and Savior of your life. And that you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit into you and begin to love him and begin to learn and begin to walk. Now, if you've wandered away, if you've lost this passion, if you had it once and the enemy stole it or the world put it out, I pray that you'd get it again. I pray that you'd be rekindled and renewed in the fire. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you don't have a Bible, you need some help, or maybe you need to know I can direct you to some more of the lessons or you want us to pray for you, go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, let us know. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.